If you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, turn to Acts chapter 6. We'll be in Acts chapter 6 for <clears throat> most of this morning, though we will be looking at other texts as well. Uh, as AJ said, my name is Nate. I'm one of the staff pastors here at Restoration Road Church, and we have been uh, going through a short series on biblical church leadership. And so this week we're going to be looking at the role of deacons in the church. And I just want to say for myself personally, I did not grow up in a traditional church context. And so this journey of exploring this beautiful and biblical design that God has for the church and the different roles in the church has been a great journey for me personally. And I hope last week was uh, encouraging for you as Pastor Mike preached on the role of biblical eldership. And I pray that, that today will be encouraging as well as we look at God's design for deacons. Before we get into our text, I will ask you to imagine with me for a moment. Imagine that everyone here has been enlisted or, enlisted or uh, voluntold that you will be part of a marching band. At the door, there are some instruments. Just grab one on your, on your way out today because we're scheduled to play opening for the Seahawks game this afternoon, right? It doesn't matter what instrument you take. Uh, it really doesn't, it doesn't matter. Just grab whatever one fits your fancy and uh, show up this afternoon. Uh, no worries about parts or sections or solos. It really doesn't matter. Just grab an instrument on your way out. Be back this afternoon. Now, if you did show up this afternoon, which I would guess many likely wouldn't, uh, it would be utter chaos, right? Everyone shows up with an instrument they've never played before or maybe played 25 years ago for six months and then decided this isn't for me. It would be chaos. Why? Because clear distinction and roles and parts, those lacking would, would make it a disaster, lacking those things. Not only would it be wise for us, but it would be necessary to place individuals in specific roles according to their skill and ability. Likewise, it would be helpful to clearly define parts, who's playing what, when, who's going to solo at this moment, when you're out, when you're in. Those things are all helpful. Now, this analogy of, of a marching band, by the way, I did not play in band at all, so I would be in just as much trouble as everybody else, because last I checked, guitars aren't part of the marching band, so that might be a problem for me as well. But this analogy applies to, to any sort of team structure. You can use it in the, in the sports world. Uh, you can use it in, in the business world, like teams and manufacturing. It is important to define roles. Uh, it's, it's also important... Uh, you know, whatever role it is, you see that the importance is that there's different roles which are filled by different people with different skill sets, training, and talents. Now, in the church, we identify gifting, but we also identify calling. And so, who God has called. God calls and equips specific people for specific roles. Now, the reason that that's important to identify calling is because God sometimes calls the less equipped to do something because he likes to put his glory on display. And so Paul would say in his letter to the Corinthians that God likes to do, use the foolish of the world, the, what the world would say, yeah, that's not going to work, to put his glory on display. And so when the church is looking at those who are to fill specific roles, we look at not only who is equipped, but more importantly, who is called, who God has called to fill these roles. And so today we're going to be closing a short two-week series, as I said, on biblical church leadership. Uh, if you missed last week's message, uh, Pastor Mike preached on biblical eldership. And if you missed that, I would encourage you 
All our sermons are available online. You can go to restorationroadchurch.com and listen to past sermon series. Uh, I would encourage you, if you missed last week's sermon, to go and to take a listen to that. But today we will look at what the Bible declares about the role of deacons in the church. And I would like to <clears throat> put a plug forward. This is a really helpful book. Uh, Matt Smethurst has written a very short, just 100 plus uh, pages on the role of deacons. We have it downstairs in the library. You can also pick it up at any, any place that's selling books. Nine Marks uh, puts this out. It is very helpful, very succinct, uh, gets you into God's Word as we're going to today. And so this was a, a large influence as I was uh, studying for this topical sermon on deacons. So if you want to study more, more scripture, you miss a scripture, I would encourage you to pick up that book from Nine Marks, uh, Matt Smethurst. But one of the questions that comes to mind is what is the difference between the roles of elder and deacon? There are differences in the list of qualifications that we'll look at today and responsibilities between elders and deacons. But a simple summary uh, given within Smethurst's book that I will refer to many times today uh, is this. The role of church elders is to lead the ministry. The role of church deacons is to facilitate ministry and in many ways support the work of the elders and to work for unity. We'll look at that today in more detail. The role of the church is to do the work of the ministry. Now, you, you see God's beautiful design in this because elders and deacons are first and foremost members of the church. And so where things start to go wrong is when you have church leadership that forgets that we're also members called to do the work of the ministry and starts telling other people what to do and not doing it ourselves. We don't see that when we look at Christ, the example that Jesus gives. He leads by example. And this is called, uh, this is, this is uh, God calls leaders in the church to do the same. Both elders and deacons are members of the church and called to do the work of the ministry. And so, the big idea that I hope you walk away with today is though every believer is called to serve, and I'll unpack that in a moment, God has ordained that some will be specifically called and uniquely equipped to formal leadership roles in the church. We're going to look at Acts chapter 6, verses 1 through 7. So if you have your Bibles, you've turned there already because I asked you to. Uh, but if you didn't, now is your chance to quickly open up Acts chapter 6. We're going to read straight through that portion of text in Acts chapter 6, and then I'll come back and give some thoughts on that. Beginning in verse 1 of Acts 6. Now in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the Spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering, and they chose Stephen, a man of, full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. These they set before the apostles, and they prayed and laid their hands on them. And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. And a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. 
And so what we see here in Acts chapter 6 is kind of the inauguration of this official role in the church of what will later be called deacons. Uh, we'll look at that word in a, in a little bit. But what I want to do first is just give a very brief overview of the context of this, what's happening in the book of Acts. And so uh, partly because Luke begins this section by saying, now in these days, well, what days, Luke? Luke is the author, the writer of the book of Acts, and he's writing to, uh, this is, Acts is kind of the second volume of Luke's work. Luke had a gospel that he wrote about Jesus' life and ministry, his death, his resurrection, and Acts is the work of the Holy Spirit in and through the beginning of the church. And so Acts is, is a historical account of the beginnings of the church. And so really, when, when, when Luke says these days, he's saying this is the, the beginning of the early church, the, the, the launching of the church of Christ. And so we see in Acts chapter 1, Jesus commissions his disciples, and Jesus ascends into heaven. The promised helper comes in Acts chapter 2, and, and what we see there is the, the, the infilling of God's Spirit into very timid disciples. They're transformed into bold witnesses. These apostles who were in hiding just chapters before in Luke's, Luke's story become heroes of the faith as they are empowered by God's Spirit to engage in the mission of the church. That's Acts chapter 2. Also in chapter 2, we see rapid growth from powerful gospel proclamation. Peter preaches a powerful sermon, and we see God moving in the hearts of men. And, 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 and Luke records that 3,000 people came to faith in Christ that day. And so rapid growth in this early young church. We also see dynamic ministry is happening. In Acts chapter 3, Luke records the healing of a lame man, which gets them in trouble, but was awesome for that guy that was lame by the, by the gate beautiful. And we, so we see dynamic ministry. We also see in Acts chapter 4, we see external opposition to the gospel. As of yet, there's not great persecution. That will come soon. But there's an external opposition to the spread of the gospel. But there's unified purpose in the church, also listed in Acts chapter 4. Acts chapter 5, right before leading up to the chapter that we're in and the situation that we're looking at, we see the first internal attack on the unity of the church. A couple named Ananias and Sapphira attempt to lie to the Holy Spirit, to be pretenders within the community. And so we really see the first leadership test for the apostles, entrusting the Lord to, to lead and provide for his church. So the first internal attack in chapter 5, and then we come to chapter 6, and we see the first major distraction opportunity. A distraction from the mission of the church elders. And what comes out of this is the inauguration of the role of deacons. A second official role in the church, uh, official leadership role in the church. What, be what began as a problem turned into an opportunity. As we just read, we saw the Hellenists have a complaint against the Hebrews. They're not taking care of their widows. Now, Hellenists is a term for... Uh, Greek descent, non-Jewish descent within the, the, the Palestine area, uh, or even abroad. What it is is basically the non-Jewish widows are not being cared for by the Jewish church. They're neglecting. They're not, they're not equally distributing the food allotments. And so there's a complaint that arises in this text. And we see that, that the apostles provide a solution. And notice that the apostles 
they, they don't just go into a room themselves and make a decision and say, this is what we're going to do. They gather the entire church together to emphasize that this distraction impacts the entire church. God has a specific role for the elders to fulfill. And if they get distracted with other things, they, are being, they will walk into disobedience of what God has called them to. And so this is a church problem, not an elders problem. So they gather the entire church together to clarify the role that God has placed the apostles under, which later will be passed to the elders of the church, address the problem that is a true problem, and offer instruction. But notice that they left the details entirely up to the church. They gave a solution, choose for you men of good repute, and then they said, church, do what you're going to do. Do the work of the ministry. Identify and put forward. The apostles gave instruction, but the members did the work of selecting the first deacons to serve the church. Now, it's interesting to me, and it might be to you, why does Luke have to, have to name them by name? Well, notice, I think one of the big reasons why Luke lists their names is every single one of their names is of Hellenist or Greek uh, uh, orientation. So they selected the church, which was primarily Hebrew, and this minority group is being overlooked, select leaders that will represent the church, that, that, that group that's being overlooked. So it was a wise decision that the church made. Uh, the church rejoiced this problem became an opportunity to, to, to move uh, qualified people into leadership roles of the church. And so, as we read, they were commissioned into their formal roles. The apostles prayed over them, commissioned them. And then the question is, did they then begin serving because they got that title, so now they begin serving? No. No, they identified these men as, as being qualified for this leadership because they were already doing the work of the ministry. It was obvious. It was evident. People saw them working to the glory of God. And so they were recognized and put into an official role. And this is the account of the establishing of what, what we know as the formal role of deacon in the church. Uh, but it doesn't tell us exactly what a deacon is. So we're going to spend some time looking at that. Deacon, the word diakonos, the Greek word, it just basically translates as servant. And so, uh, on the one hand, to follow Christ is to be a servant. Jesus calls all of his followers to be a servant. On the other hand, Acts 6 establishes a formal role within the church called servant, deacon, diakonos, who serve in an official capacity alongside the elders and pastors to support the ministry of the work by doing the work of the ministry. This in no way precludes elders from the work of the ministry. As I said earlier, we are all members of the church and called to do the work of the ministry, but it exposes a false notion that the elder pastor is called to be, have an S on his chest and do everything. That's not the design that God has made for the church. God has made the church, he gave us the analogy of a body for a purpose. That we all have a part to play, we all have a role to play, and we are all needed in the body of Christ. The primary, if the primary function of the pastor elder is to teach the word, the primary function of the deacon is to minister the word to the body. Before we look at what a, a deacon does, it is, it is very important for us to first address 
who a deacon must be. That is the emphasis that Scripture uh, puts on the character and the nature of the person in this role. Uh, In fact, for all followers of Jesus, who you are matters more than what you do. Because the Scripture, as we'll see in a moment, Scripture will say, who you are impacts what you do. Jesus said it this way in Luke 6, 43 through 45. He said, no good tree bears bad fruit. Nor again does a bad tree bear good fruit, for each tree is known by its own fruit. For figs are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor are grapes picked from from bramble bush. The good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good, and the evil person out of the evil treasure produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Does this mean that everything we say apart from Christ is evil? vile, sinister? Well, in many ways, yes. But maybe not quite how we initially think of it. You see, every, everything that we are, since Genesis chapter 3, everything that we do has this motivation behind it called self-centeredness. I am at the center of everything that I do. It is innate in our nature. We have this view of evil, and we think it is sinister and evil. That's something that someone else does. Essentially, what Jesus is saying is, apart from the work of the gospel in us, every action, every word, ultimately has ourself at the center. That is natural, since Genesis 3, in our fallen state, to put ourselves forward, self-preservation, self-exaltation. But Christ says, I have come that that old man, that old way of thinking is, is, will die. And you'll be raised to new life. And this is, this is why the gospel is so important. Because the gospel tells us that Christ changes who you are at the core. You see, Ephesians 2 says the dead come to life in Christ. Ezekiel 36 precludes this and says that the heart of stone is removed and replaced with the heart of flesh by the work of God. And Jesus talks about this, references this in John chapter 3. See, those who have truly trusted in Christ for their salvation, they are, we are a new creation. Paul writes this in 2 Corinthians 5, 17. He says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old, that way that says Nate first, Put in your name there, not Nate first for you, but your name there. You first. That way is dead. It's passed away. Behold, the new has come that says, my motivation, Christ first. Now, this tension now exists in this life where the old Nate still wants to put a foot forward and and have this self-centered thinking, which is why we need to crucify our flesh, which is another biblical uh, analogy to put to death that old way of thinking that says it all revolves around me, I'm in the center, and replace that with Christ-like thinking that says Christ is in the center. Everything that I do is to glorify and exalt Him. Colossians chapter 3 is a great place to camp out if you want to learn more about this. I'm going to summarize what Paul—I'm going to take out some of the details because we don't have time for it all today, but Paul writes this. He says, if then you have been raised with Christ— Seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on the things that are of this earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. And later he says, put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. This is that that idea of everything that is centered around yourself. Put that to death. 
regularly. And then Paul says, like, put on new, uh, the new self. It's almost like he's saying, take off those old rags that you, you, you so fond, you're so fond of, those clothes that are tattered and dirty, and put on those clothes of Christ. Those clothes that he gives us. Put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. And this is why the gospel is so important. We see we are a new creation. God is doing a work in us. The old has passed away. Paul continues in chapter 3 of Colossians to describe in more detail what that looks like. And I'd encourage you to camp out there this week. Uh, in fact, read the whole book of Colossians. It's fabulous. But Scripture gives us many examples, I've just named a few, and, and descriptions of what it looks like when indi an individual trusts in Christ, their old life has died, their new life in Christ, uh, they are walking in their new life and being sanctified or being made into the image of Christ. It's not perfection, that comes later. It is God at work in our lives making us more like Jesus in thought and in action. And since then, this transformation is visible to the church. Who you are is revealed by what you do and what you say. And both are addressed in the role of deacon. The character of the person is what is emphasized in Scripture. The, the, the person that steps into this role officially, and, and, and this is applicable to all who follow Christ, that who you are matters most. But since the inward condition can be concealed, the outward actions can be pretentious or insincere, we can learn to do motions, to walk through the motions, while all, all the while while disengaging our heart. Matthew 28 deals with those who pretend to be a part of the church or a part of, of God's, God's way, but really their heart is disengaged. Matthew 23 is, is a harsh chapter against those who are religious, who do not practice what they preach. Matthew chapter 7 is another text that gives a sobering account of those who, who do, do many helpful actions but do not truly know Christ. See, this and other texts drives to the point that who we are matters more than what we do. Not to say that what we do doesn't matter at all. It, it does matter, but what we do must flow from who we are, and who we are must be changed into who Christ is. I'm going to say that again. What we do must flow from who we are. Who we are must be changed into who Christ is. And so let's look at some of the qualifications and roles of this servant in its official capacity. If we, if we flip to 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 8 through 13, we see a list of qualifications that Paul gives for the church. First uh, <clears throat> Timothy chapter 3 gives for both elders and deacons. Uh, we will look at the section with deacons uh, right now. In First Timothy chapter 3, verse 8, Paul says this, Deacons likewise must be dignified, not double-tongued, not addicted to much wine, not greedy for dishonest gain. They must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience, and let them also be tested first. Then let them serve as deacons as they prove themselves blameless. Their wives likewise must be dignified, not slanderers, but sober-minded, faithful in all things. Let deacons 
each be the husband of one wife, managing their children and their households well. For those who serve well as deacons gain a good standing for themselves, and also great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. Paul is writing to Timothy, a young pastor, and he's giving him, uh, he's giving him some, some ditches not to fall in as he's pastoring. He's giving him some ground, ground rules as a young pastor in, in establishing the church in a healthy manner to move forward. And so what we see as, as he lists out elders in chapter, at the beginning of chapter 3 and deacons in this middle section of chapter 3, what, what matters most to Paul is character. <clears throat> most of these listed here are character issues, not skill issues or, quali- uh, or, or, uh, or talent issues. These are issues of character. One of my favorite books on leadership that I have read to date is a book by Dr. Albert Moeller uh, called Conviction to Lead. If you have leadership in your home, in your workplace, I highly commend this book to you, uh, Conviction to Lead by Albert Moeller. Uh, he said this about leadership. He said, quote, leadership that matters most is convictional, deeply convictional. Convictions are not merely beliefs we hold. They are those beliefs that hold us. We would not know who we are but for these bedrock beliefs. And without them, we would not know how to lead. And so 1 Timothy chapter 3 gives a list of qualifications also given in Titus chapter 1. But we're going to focus on what Paul writes here to Timothy. The first thing that Paul says is that deacons must be dignified. Smether says in his writing that this doesn't mean they must be perfect, thank God. None of us would be fulfilling this role, but Christ alone. This doesn't mean that they must be perfect. It signifies they must be humble, repentant, and exemplars of the flock. Then Paul points out six qualifications, three negative and three positive, which further describe what it means to be dignified. We're going to look at these real quick. The first one, deacons must not be tongued. Essentially what Paul is saying is that those who move into this role of leadership must be self-controlled in their speech. This speaks to holding confidential information within the church. It speaks to speaking with discretion and sensitivity, knowing what to say, when to say it, and how best to say it. Additionally, knowing when to keep from saying anything. They must have control of their tongue. This also speaks to being clear and direct. Those who who step into this leadership role, and and this is a charge for all of us who follow Christ. Paul charges them not to say one thing to one person and say the opposite to somebody else. Not to be a flattering tongue. Not to engage in insincere talk, uh, gossip, slander, or flattery. I ran across this this quote in Smethert's book that I thought was just too good not to share. This describes flattery and gossip, and he says this, he says, quote, flattery it has been observed, is saying to someone's face what you wouldn't say behind their back, whereas gossip is saying behind someone's back what you wouldn't say to their face. And Paul says, those who move into this servant leadership role must not engage in flattery, slander, or gossip. They must work toward unity. Additionally, they must not be addicted to much wine. And so Paul says they must be self-controlled in their speech, Likewise, they must be self-controlled in their actions. There's two ways uh, a lack of self-control can be revealed. Uh, 
can be revealed through indulgence and through greed. Ultimately, the problem Paul is identifying here is placing their personal needs above the needs of others. Those who are called into this role of serving are called to serve others and not serve themselves. Why? Because that old way of living has died, right? They, 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 that has been put to death. That, that way of living that says they're the center of everything and they deserve things, that has, that has died. That has been put to death. And now it is the glory of Christ. And so they serve others' needs. They serve the church. So Paul says they must not be addicted to too much wine. They must not be greedy for their own gain. They're called to serve others, not serve themselves. Paul says they must hold to the mystery of the faith with clear conscience. Though the work of, of deacons, of these servant leaders, is primarily hands work, tangible work. Uh, in Acts chapter 6, it was serving tables, as the apostles put it. It's largely service work uh, to support the ministry of the word done by the elders. It in no way means that they ought not to engage in understanding God's word, in understanding the gospel, and proclaiming the gospel. Just keep reading in the book of Acts. The very next chapter, you'll see this first deacon listed here in Acts 6, Stephen. He's a pretty good preacher. And he preaches a pretty good sermon in front of uh, probably the most powerful, pe powerful people uh, surrounding him in the area, the leaders. And, and ultimately, his sermon was so good, they stoned him. I hope my sermon's not that good. What Paul indicates here is that deacons know the basics of the Christian faith and can clearly communicate the truths of the gospel. Knowing it is not enough. It's not enough just to have the knowledge. They also must hold the faith. It means that these truths hold them. The gospel has reformed them and continues to conform them into the image of Christ. Simply put, they live what they believe. They believe what they know to be true according to the scriptures. This is the kind of person that Paul is listing, that God is listing. And also, that they be tested and proven. The important point declares that, that deacons not only know how God desires them to live, they actually live that way. They live according to the scriptures to the best of their ability. Now again, it's not perfection. It is pursuing Christ and largely marked by humility and repentance. And then lastly, Paul says, what they hold is also held within their family. It is not something that they don't share with those closest to them. Their faith in Christ, this new life that they are walking in, it has an impact within their family. Their spouse is impacted by this way of living. Their children are impacted by this way of living. They have influence on their family. And again, thank God this does not mean perfection. It does not mean that those who fulfill these official roles are expected to have perfect kids. But what it means is there's grace, there's repentance, there's forgiveness. There is the workings of the gospel in their family that are evident. It's not something that's hidden. It's something that's seen. The work of the gospel in their lives and in the lives of those around them. Now, this is a tall order, and it is not for everyone to be in this role officially. But Paul writes, for those who are called by God's grace into this official role, they receive two gifts, respect and growing boldness. 
Each of these gifts increase as the individual continues in faithful gospel labor to the glory of God and the betterment of the church. And so the most important thing when looking at, it, at, at moving into an official role of servant, of deacon in the church, is who you are. But it also, we need to ask, what does a deacon do? What, what a deacon does? And there's very little that Scripture gives us. Acts chapter 6 is probably the best place uh, to find that. We see that they identify and meet tangible needs within the church. They promote and preserve church unity, which is why Paul pointed out like, they need to be self-controlled with their tongue. Like, they need to not be divisive people. They need to not be people that go around and stir up controversy. They need to be people who are tempered in their character, with their speech. And they are actively promoting and preserving church unity. And the role of deacon serves and supports the teaching ministry of the elders. We see that, we saw that in Acts chapter 6. There was an opportunity for the elders to be distracted with good things, right? Like, it is good that widows have food to eat. That is a very good thing that the church provides for those in need. Scripture says a lot to that. But what, what is being established in Acts chapter 6 is that the church responds to the problem, not only the elders. Everything doesn't fall on the elders. Everything falls on the body to work together. To accomplish the mission God has given us here on this earth. To make much of him. Put him on display. And so we see that deacons find joy in serving the church and supporting the ministry of the word fulfilled by the elders. Deacons are commissioned and put uh, to put Christ on display by their actions. And finally, we see that the perfect servant in Scripture was not Stephen, though he was pretty close. It was not the others listed or the deacons that Paul is referencing in, in 1 Timothy. No, the perfect servant was Christ and is Christ. He is our example to look to as we serve each other, as we serve the church. Romans fifteen eight, Paul says Christ became a diakonos. He became a servant. John 13 is probably one of the best examples tangible examples that we see over that. And I, I'm not, I was going to read through the text, but uh, I encourage you, read through John 13. I'm just going to summarize it. This is the uh, incident right before, uh, right before Jesus spends time teaching his disciples, before he uh, is arrested, where Jesus actually physically takes on the role of the lowest servant of the house, where he washes the feet of the disciples in John 13. And this role of, of foot washer in Jewish custom was not even given. It was, Jew, Jewish slaves or servants were not allowed to fill this role. This was to be filled by a foreigner. It was the lowest servant role in the house. And Jesus gets up from the table, from the supper table, assumes this role of lowest servant in the house while he washes the feet of his disciples. And then he says, do you understand what I did? You're probably thinking, no. And Jesus says, what I've done, you go and do likewise. Jesus examples for them what it means to be a servant. That means we willingly put ourselves in the lowest position. And that is, that is to put that old man to death. And Jesus didn't even need to do that, but we do. Because our old man wants to say, 
That sounded funny. Our, <laughs> our old way of living, our old self, wants to say, I'm above doing this. Yeah. Jesus demonstrates for us, we are to be servants, not above anything, but we are to serve the church willingly and joyfully. And Jesus demonstrated that dramatically in John chapter 3. And so how does this apply to us as we wrap things up today? Well, every believer is a deacon, a servant informally. Though you may not fulfill the formal role in the church of deacon, every member of the church, if you profess to be a follower of Christ, you are called to be a servant of Christ, to be a deacon of Christ. Smethers put it this way, if you put your trust in Christ, you are already a deacon in a broad sense. You are called to serve. Each member of the church is called to serve the church, to live with integrity, and to live with gospel purpose. That is a command to Christ followers. It's not an option. It's not a check here if you want to. No, this is if you are following Christ, you follow his example. We are called to serve. And praise God that his design includes structure to aid in that purpose for the mission of the church. The design of deacons places formal roles uh, on exemplary leaders within the church, leaders that the church recognizes and sees, leaders that we can say, follow him as he's following Christ, follow her as she's following Christ. The church is just identifying these leaders, these working and acting in ministry, those who are putting Christ on display through word and deed. The role of deacon is a role of servitude. It is a role of Christ-likeness. It is a role informally that all church members are called to fill, and a role formally that some, commissioned and called by God, and equipped by God, are called to fill in an official capacity. My prayer for us is that you and I may see the value of living this life with Christ-like humility. That as we look at the role of deacon in the church, we'll find joy ourselves in serving one another, in placing, as Paul says, others' needs and, own, and interests in front of our own. My prayer for you is that may you resolve to be one who is ready to move into a formal ministry role of service, that you are acting as a deacon regularly, not to be noticed, but because Jesus did that. So we want to do that too. And if God so calls you, may you move into an, exempt, in, into an official role within the church because of the gospel at work in your life for the glory of Christ. Amen? Let's pray. God, this morning, we thank you, and we recognize that, that you have made a perfect design for the church, and we confess we often get this wrong. We often mess things up, and it doesn't take long and to, to look into the history of the role of deacons to see that this role has been abused. This role has been misused. Those called to serve became self-serving throughout history and has brought tarnish upon the role of servant, of deacon in the church. 
Lord, I pray that you would help us to see the role of elder and the role of deacon, these biblical leadership roles within the church through the lens of Scripture, as you have declared them to be, not through the lens of culture, not through the lens of history, through the lens of your word. God, may we be inspired to be such people that live our lives that we can say with Paul, follow me as I'm following Christ. Not in arrogance, but in deep humility. May we live our lives with integrity, knowing that who we are, what we do when no one's around, matters more than what we say and what we do when everyone's looking. God, may our motivation. Our greatest motivation be just to be more like you. God, grow this desire in us. Help us to to put to death our flesh, that which wants to place us at the center, and help us to live our lives to make much of you, Jesus. We pray these things and ask these things in your name.